remind you that there is no service tonight. We're hoping that you would take this opportunity to visit with family and friends and um, spread some Christian love around. That's what your task is tonight. So uh, take advantage of that. Next week, of course, normal service times will be back, 9.15 and 11 in the morning and 6 o'clock at night. So we'll be back to uh, business as usual next week. Well, he was Time Magazine Man of the Year, most important man in the whole world. His liberal government had just issued a decree that all the world should be taxed. I think it was called HST. (laughs) Needed a comprehensive census so that no contributor would be overlooked. His name, not Barack Obama, not Dalton McGinty. His name was Caesar Augustus. It was a time when it was all about power. Those who had it enjoyed all of the privileges and all of the benefits. Those who didn't were oppressed, insecure, fearful, bitter, resentful, rebellious, uncooperative. But on that first Christmas night, it wasn't the rich or the famous or the powerful Caesar Augustus who took center stage. The angels of heaven took note of another. The celestial press gallery that night, the communication officers of the heavenly realms were giving full attention to the birth of one child in a remote little village in a hamlet about seven kilometers south of Jerusalem called Bethlehem, house of bread. The bread that filled the house that night was from heaven. So it was in the raw shadow, or the shadow of the raw power of Caesar Augustus and Rome that a couple were expecting a child. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning, please, to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. I hope you don't mind that Christmas is not quite over yet, at least not scripturally. Seems to me you can't rightly understand what we're going to do shortly unless you rightly understand about Christmas. It seems to me that you can't fully appreciate the cross of Christ unless you understand the coming of Christ to be among us and what it was all about and what it was for. The people, you see, needed rescue. They needed security. They needed to be unafraid, to experience the rich richness of living, the, the antidote to living 24-7 with guilt and shame be able to raise their families, to have wellness that goes deep into your soul. It comes from a healed soul at peace with God. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, the story begins this way. In in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register 
So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. Well, terrified, but I like sore afraid. Don't you love that? They were sore afraid. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good tidings or good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. While they had seen him, Or when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before... He had been conceived. Is that an amazing statement? Father, your word is filled with amazing things. The truth overwhelms us. Your love for us is beyond amazing. Lord, I pray as we celebrate right now your great love for us by coming to us and then dying for us. I pray today that your word would penetrate deeply within our hearts, not so that we would become more conversant with the truth or more intelligent scripturally, but so that our lives would be changed Set us up, Father, for 2010 with a changed heart, more filled with you than ever, more committed to you than ever, people of allegiance to the richness that we have in Christ Jesus, I pray. In his name, amen. So who would get the Nobel Peace Prize that year in Bethlehem? Better than that, who would make life better for the multitudes of people living in the shadow of death, in the defeat of darkness, in a place that has no peace? Would it be Caesar Augustus? 
Or was there somehow something significant that God was up to through this child? I think we know the answer to that, but let me share with you just very quickly this morning before we celebrate the Lord's table some riches from this Christmas scene on which to hang some New Year's hopes. That's what I want for you this morning. I want to give five of them to you very quickly, five riches that I hope will be something that you can hang your hopes on this 2010 year. The first is this, power is not persuasive, kindness, mercy, and right ways are. If it's about raw power that God was after, then Caesar Augustus would have been fine. He would have have been the chosen one. But God was choosing Jesus to be the concentration of his powerful work in salvation on behalf of those living in darkness in the defeat of life, in death. It's not power that's persuasive. It's, it's kindness, mercy, and right ways. Henry Nguyen, a theologian who uh, taught at Notre Dame and Yale and Harvard and eventually was a casualty of burnout in his attempts to chase after significance, decided that he would offer his life sacrificially the rest of what was his life to those who were mentally challenged, can you imagine? He went from teaching Harvard and Yale students and Notre Dame students to he decided he would give his life to those who were mentally challenged. He had a he had a distinct change in his thinking. And, and um, I've reworked a, a bit of his, his uh, reflections, and I just want to share a few of them with you because I think they're meaningful to help us. He, he said uh, he found in his life that he needed to avoid and beware of three major temptations that had crept into his life in his quest to be significant and powerful and meaningful. It was a temptation to be relevant the temptation to be popular, and the temptation to be powerful. That happens to all of us. The temptation to be relevant is, is, is to be people who, who understand what really matters and we're really plugged into the prevailing style of the time and everybody looks at it and says, you know what, you're really relevant, you really get it. There's a temptation in that to go beyond uh, being significant to being to the place of, uh, uh, of being self-focused. Instead of being shaped by relevance, Nguyen said, he wanted to be shaped by prayer. There's a temptation to try to be popular, to fit in, to to be the measuring stick of what it means to be the the man or the woman of of your time. Instead of fitting into what it was culturally in, Nguyen said, suggested, why not risk God's counter-cultural initiatives in your life? Rather than be powerful and get things your own way, how about being where God wants to take you? These were the three things that shaped a a radical change in his life. Relevance and popularity and power is not persuasive, but kindness and mercy 
and right ways are. In the text, Luke chapter 2, verse 17, I noted here, I note here that uh, it says, When they had seen him, Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. I was perplexed by that as I read it. It doesn't say they went and told everybody what they had seen. They went and told everybody what they had been told about this one. Now that's fascinating. And and I think it's stated this way because when it comes to real power, what you see is not all there is when it comes to the Lord. Uh, This birth story, I, I mean... Have we taken into consideration the, 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 the immensity of what happened here? This is the incarnation of the divine. This is God coming to live among people. Never before had it been done, never again is it to happen in this earthly time frame. God incarnates himself and comes to live among man. The incarnation of the divine embedded in normal living. That's what they saw. Granted, it was unusual to have a baby lying in a manger, but it wasn't that unusual to find a baby wrapped in cloths. That was the sign of God's work. It was so ordinary. This will be your sign. Go and look at a baby wrapped in cloths. That's kind of ordinary. That's our sign, God? I mean, this is the sign that God is up to something great? And the vehicle. (laughs) Everyone was on their way to their hometown so that they could sign up for the census for taxation. That's the normal course of living. God is up to something spectacular that he's never done before. Embedded in the ordinary, really. So be careful. Because sometimes we're always looking for something that's so grandiose, so spectacular, that we miss the grandiose and the spectacular of God that is going on in the ordinary, day-to-day living of God's people. Don't despise the ordinary, the normal. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this one, this child. What they saw was very ordinary. I I don't want to burst any of your bubbles, but there wasn't a halo over the head of Jesus. You know that? There wasn't a halo over Mary. Mary was still Mary. The babe, the sign of the babe was he was wrapped in cloths like a very normal baby, but in a manger. It isn't only in the spectacular. God's power may be and usually is at work in the most ordinary unfolding of his word. You may not see much, but you have been told much by his word. So, It says in verse 15 to verse 20, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. 
When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about, uh, told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I'm talking about confidence in God's word, people. The, the third important riches for you to, to hang your hopes on for New Year's, uh, for this new year, is to, is to follow where God's word leads you and share what God has shown you when you witness his word come to pass. That's precisely what the shepherds did. The first thing they did is they... they said, let's go to Bethlehem. And they, it says they, they came in a hurry to him. And then it says they, they, what they had heard and what they had seen, they spread that word. That's how others, by the way, were informed and encouraged. Mary and Joseph weren't out in the shepherd's fields that night. They didn't have this celestial press gallery show up. It was because the shepherds went, followed where God's word led them. He told them to go to Bethlehem. They went. And they shared with those there and everywhere what they had seen and what they had heard, what had been told to them by God's word. That's how you take people from the manger to the cross. And beyond. See, salvation is a lifelong journey. It has a starting point, of course. But that's all it is. It's just a starting point. The rest of your salvation is based on each act of allegiance to Jesus Christ. This is, salvation is not a get out of hell free card. It's a life journey. It's a, it's a reality. It's, it's following after what God says to do and paying attention to His Word and sharing what you have seen and what you have heard when you witness His Word come to pass. You pass that on. On the basis of each act of allegiance, you encounter the Word of God coming to pass and you pass that on. That's the salvation journey. It's a starting point, to be sure. But that's all it is. 2010 is another year of acts of allegiance to Jesus. That's your salvation story. It's how it's going to unfold. It's how other people are going to be brought into it and understand it. Fourthly, if you want to see what God is up to, you have to go to Jesus. If the shepherds didn't go to the manger, if they don't go to Jesus, they don't get to God. They don't get to what God is doing. That's why um, Jesus said... um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. 
He goes on to say, if you really knew me, you would know the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. God does not reveal himself as some sort of generic deity. That's the the great crisis of our time, and certainly the great crisis of our culture, is this generic God, deity. God, keep our land glorious and free. Nobody is upset about those lyrics. Now, why? Because he's a generic God in those lyrics. He's the God that anybody wants him to be. But that's not the God that's revealed himself to us. I know when, when, when I sing that, I know who I'm singing to. And so do you. I, I'm singing to the God of the universe. But your Muslim neighbor isn't. And um, it is imperative for us to understand the nature of this incarnation and ultimately the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on Calvary to understand that God has not revealed himself as a generic God. To get to what God is doing, you have to go to Jesus. In the same text in John chapter 14, Jesus said, you believe in God? Believe also in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the God you're claiming to believe in unless you come through me. Because I'm it. I'm him. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby you might be saved. It's the name Jesus. So in 2010, if you want to see what God is up to, you have to go to Jesus. And finally, I think out of this text, the fifth of the riches that are found here for our New Year hope is the most powerful rehabilitation is forgiveness of sins. It's core change that causes a character earthquake. That's what's presented to us here. From the song of Zechariah, from the song of Mary, on through to the naming of him and his circumcision, Jesus, God saves. The greatest of all, most powerful rehabilitation is the forgiveness of sins. It's core change that causes a character earthquake. Those living in darkness and death's shadow and defeat They run from oppressive and demanding power because it further ruins the defeated. It sends the lost deeper into darkness. It makes those afraid of death more insecure. But the power of God is shown in Christ Jesus and His salvation. When He's called the horn of salvation, God takes an implement or a a physical structure of destruction on the head of of an ox and turns it into the imagery of salvation and care and concern and grace. God takes power, and rather than oppress people and ruin people, 
and hurt people. He changes people's lives and brings them kindness and peace and grace and love and care and compassion, all wrapped up in what's called salvation. Those living in darkness and death's shadow and defeat can come into the light and know life. That's the riches of 2010. He reshapes and retools power for the good of people's souls so that they are no longer afraid because now they are free to make decisions from a place of security and confidence. The interfering obstacles are removed. Right way living is now attainable. They've been forgiven of their sins, so there's no sense of guilt anymore. Enlightened to the truth, so that we are aware of the way, and granted peace to guide our feet into the path of peace. Peace becomes actually the name of my journey. Do you understand that? That's what it says here. He guides our feet into the path of peace. That's the name of my journey. Where, what, where are you on? Where are you going? I'm on the path of peace. I, I live on Peace Street. That's the deal. That's the riches that have been given to us to build hope into our lives for 2010 and to, to take what we have seen and what we have heard and tell other people. So because of this incarnation, the first visible act in salvation history, I have um, put together a summary of the rich and lasting results of that, that that story has put in motion. I'm using it as my personal identity statement. This is who I am. This is who you are if you're in Christ. This is, this is how we're explaining to others what we have that's unique and distinct for 2010. It's a long sentence, but I think it's a good one. I think it's biblical. With one master to please, I make right way choices. Having been forgiven of my sins, I have offloaded my guilt and shame. And because the right way has been made known to me, my fear has been replaced by faithful service. I now live on Peace Street. That's my summary of Luke chapter 1 and 2 to this point. I think that's who we are. I think that's the case that's been built. And because of that, we're invited to celebrate what Christ has done to make it possible. The babe that came to live among us, they called Jesus. He came to live a sinless life and then to go to the cross of Calvary and die a sinner's death. So that all those who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ might move from the shadow of death and darkness and turmoil into the light and life and love of not a generic God, 
but the living God whose Son is the Lord Jesus Christ, very God himself. And so I invite you this morning to one of two things. If you have embraced that salvation by faith, trusting in Christ, then I invite you to participate in the table of our Lord. Partake of the elements that remind you of your salvation, of the cost of your salvation. If you have not embraced by faith believing in Christ Jesus, then do so right now, this morning. Call out to Him. Call on Him to be merciful to you, a sinner, and come into your life and change you, and He will. If your heart is stubborn and hard, and you're on a journey, not yet there, then pass the elements by. They are for those who are in the family of God and know it. Our Father and our God, as we gather ourselves around the table and as you in particular invite us, because you are the host, I pray that our faith might be deepened and enriched. Those who have not responded in faith would. Those who are investigating would be brought into your family quickly. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible reminds us that it wasn't with silver and gold that our salvation was purchased. There's a good reason for that. Our great God owns all the silver and gold in all the universe. For him to have given that for our salvation wouldn't have been a sacrifice. But it was with the precious blood of his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes this such an amazing and unique sacrifice. This cup, then, is the new covenant in my blood, Jesus said. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Pedro, maybe you could put that last slide up, if you don't mind. As we conclude our service this morning, I just want to... uh, quickly recap for you the five important things for 2010. Don't get pulled into the power plays of this world to get your own way. Be shaped by prayer and God's unpopular initiatives and where God wants to take you. You may not always see much, but you have been told much. Rely on it. The salvation journey grows richer with each act of allegiance. It's about Jesus. Go to Jesus. And God's power puts you permanently on Peace Street. If you don't feel there, you've been relying on your own power. Our Father, 
Thank you for this new year that is upon us. Thank you that you are the God of this year. For you are the God who has purposed all things after your good pleasure and according to your wonderful will. We want to submit ourselves afresh to you this year, Father. We want to, by this act of allegiance in the Lord's table, declare our faith and our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our only way of salvation. We believe in him. We have trusted in him. We now believe his presence is within us through the work of the Holy Spirit and through his presence in us. We know, Father, that you are transforming us into Christ-likeness. I ask that you would cause this people to cooperate with what the Lord wants to do. And I pray, Father, that in all things you may be honored and glorified in our midst and in our region from this people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.